In this episode, Pastor Riggin reflects on the various churches which he has served during his nearly 40-year tenure as a pastor. Trusting God to lead him through each transition, he eventually ends up in his harvest field. Are you ready to face the truth? Face the Truth is the weekly podcast of the Truth Church of Olathe, Kansas. Now here is the guest host for today's podcast. Thank you, Brother Goff, and hello to all the Face the Truth podcast listeners. Thank you for stopping by once again. This week, in the interest of time, we're going to jump right into our conversation with Pastor as he takes us through his journey from Elder McLean's through the various fields of labor in Tatum, Texas, Aransas Pass, Texas, Canyon City, Colorado, JS, Mississippi, and finally, right here in Olathe, Kansas. Pastor, can you share with us the things that stand out in your mind when you took your first pastorate? Oh, you know, there's a lot of things, honestly. It's, it, again, to look back and realize I was 24 years old. No real experience in pastoral duties. You know, I say that I assisted Brother McLean, and I did in a lot of regards. I was never called his assistant pastor. He had another man that had that title. Generally, if he was gone, I was the one that preached during those two years that I was there. But to just step into a pastorate with nothing you know to to really glean from other than christian education there were a lot of things that i just really wasn't prepared for but here's here's the thing is that i kept falling back on that first message that i preached trust in god and not in man and that's what i had to do you know elder davis had I'd heard him say many times, if you'll work for God the way you would work for a man, God will pay you better than any man could ever pay you. And so I just, I believed what he said. So I, I go to Tatum. Now Tatum was a town of about, I think the population was 1,300 when I went there. It's a small town. Northeast Texas, about 20 miles south of Longview. I have no skills. I don't know how to do anything. I've been preaching since I was 13 years old. I, I don't know how to do anything. I go there. I, I never ask how much money's coming in. I don't care. It's either the will of God or it's not the will of God. And that's the way I've looked at it. If it's the will of God, then God's going to take care of me. I've just always believed that. And I've believed it deeply. And so when I found out I was going to Tatum. It, it just so happened that the outgoing pastor was the son of my wife's pastor. The church where she grew up was the pastor there. Now, the other thing is his brother was one of my closest friends in Bible college. We had worked, I don't know how many different jobs together, and he had left college and had gone to Tatum to assist his brother. His brother left to go to the mission field, to Africa, of all places. Anyhow, but I got to meet before the transition took place, and he just volunteered the information to me. He said, now look, the average income for the pastor 
is, I think he said it's $600 a month. It's either five or $600 a month is what's coming in. He said, and I'm paying my brother a hundred of that as an assistant. The church was running 20. So I was looking at four or $500 a month. No, no skills, small town, not a lot of jobs. I've got two small children. Andrea was born in August of that year. We moved. We were waiting on her to be born to move to Tatum. So she was a newborn. So so this was in, in 1984. So Erica was about two and a half. She would turn three in December of that year. So two very, very small children. We got no place to live. I got no money to rent a place to live. Got no job. So I don't know what I'm going to do except just trust God. So we're talking. We, you know, we drive up there, and and I'm talking to one of the men, and he said, "Look, I don't know if you're interested." He said, "I've got a mobile home parked out behind my house. It's, it belongs to me." He said, "We hadn't used it in years, and some of the windows are busted out." And he said, "But if you want to use it," he said, "I don't, I don't mind." hooking onto it and pulling it up on the church parking lot and, and letting you live in that. I said, sure, man. Great. You know, a free place to live. I was, I, was had, I was just so thrilled to be a pastor, you know. I didn't care. So that was going to take care of my rent problem. I didn't have any rent to worry about. But, man, it was in bad shape. It was in bad shape. No heating, no cooling. It was It was rough. And two small kids to to live in it. And I got there, and you know, like I said, I, I didn't know what to do except do what my pastor said. And he said, if you'll work for God like you'd work for a man, God will pay you better than any man would pay you. And so I started out, I got a, a ledger book. This is before the days of computers and spreadsheets and all that. So I got a ledger book, and I had columns and I made my columns Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And I recorded what time I would get to the church. I'd write down, you know, how much time I spent if I went to visit someone or I went to do something for God. And, and I made sure that I invested a minimum of 40 hours a week working for God. And I wanted to make sure that it was never less than that because I knew if I was working for a man, that's what I would be doing. And so I just went in. And, and in fact, some of the people asked me, said, what are you going to do? What are you going to do for a living? And I said, well, I trust God. You know, God, God will take care of me. He'll, he'll open a door. He'll do something. And I, I still am amazed that they voted in a 24-year-old with no experience. And some of these, I think my wife mentioned in previous podcasts, that some of these ladies that were there were old enough to be my grandmother. But yet they trusted me and elected me. In fact, one of them, I'd gone to see her one day and, and her son came out because he was old enough to be my dad. And he looked at me. He said something to to his mom about, well, boy, you sure picked a young one, didn't you? you know? <laughs> but anyhow, so I, I kept this ledger sheet and I made sure I spent no less than 40 hours. My first month there, the income was $1,400, almost triple what it had averaged. 
And that was the lowest month I had the entire time I was there. So, again, I learned, just trust God and God will take care of you. And he did. God, you know, it was there, you've heard me tell the story about exceeding abundantly above and how that my wife believed God for giving us a house and that it was there in Tatum that that happened. Uh, it was that old trailer we were living in that, that was falling apart. And I preached on faith and she believed that God was going to give us a house. And within a matter of weeks of me preaching that, I didn't see how in the world we would do it, but God sent us a check and the check was exactly what we needed for a down payment. And the seller paid all the points and closing costs and and we bought the house. God, again, showed us that if we would trust him, he would take care of us. So, so that's, you know, it was really learning, learning to, to, to trust God. There were so many things. There were a lot of things in the church that I didn't believe in. There people were doing things that I preached against. You know, I had to learn how to be patient, how to, to take time. I think really stepping into a church like that probably is what set the stage for the kind of teaching that I do today because I knew I couldn't just get in there and just start screaming, you got to do this, you got to live this way. I knew I was going to have to explain to them why. They had a good pastor. He was a good man. He didn't teach these things. And, and I couldn't, I couldn't just get in and say, well, you're going to go to hell if you do, you know, because then I'm pointing that, that I'm saying that he was, and that's, that's not what I was trying to convey. And so I had to learn to just go in and take the scripture and say, here's why I want you to do this. It's based on these scriptural principles. And then as they saw those principles, then they begin to make changes. And another thing that I learned was to bring elders in. You know, I brought I brought Elder Davis in. I brought other good men in. And I let them do a lot of the correcting that needed to be done. And that helped tremendously. So that's some of the lessons I learned in that first pastorate. What was it like transitioning into your second pastorate from Tatum? I, I, I loved it there. I was happy. I really thought I was just going to stay there till I died. Uh, we saw good number of folks come in pray through to the Holy Ghost had great revival you know our anniversary service brother Larry Claiborne was here he prayed through right before I got elected but after I got elected his brother sister-in-law you know other family members all came in and prayed through we had a number of people receive the Holy Ghost after I came in and we we had a had a good sized congregation in in the time I was there for about a year and a half but I really believed that I was just going to be there till I died. I, I never once entertained the thought of leaving until I had a missionary come through one night. And he really blessed our church. And here's the crazy thing. I don't even remember who he was. I mean, this has been that many years ago. But I do remember that he really, really blessed our church. And the reason I remember that is because after the service was over and he was getting ready to leave, I told him, I said, brother, please, because, you know, in those days when we had missionaries, it was like they would come in and then they'd go back to their field for four years and then they'd come home and deputize for a year and then they'd go back to their field for four years. And so 
I knew, you know, he was he was going to be going back overseas, and I wouldn't see him for another four years or something. And and so I I told him, I said, man, you were such a blessing to us. I said, when you come back, please, please request that they send you to my church. I want you to come back here and preach for us again. And he just looked at me, and he said, you won't be here in four years. And I said, yes, I will. He said, no, you won't. And it, it just blew me away. I, I, I had never given the first consideration to the thought that I wouldn't just stay there all my life. That's really what I thought was going to happen. And, I mean, it wasn't... You know, it wasn't a perfect situation. We had our battles. We had folks that opposed us. We had it's just same thing you have every church everywhere. But we had good, some good people. And and I loved what was happening. I loved what God was doing. And I just never dreamed that I would leave until that missionary said that. And I really got very frustrated with him for making that statement. I didn't tell him that. But I thought, man, if ever a man has missed it, this man missed it. I am not leaving Tatum. I'm going to be here till I die. And so I didn't think any more about it. I just thought, ah, he's, you know, that it was just an off-the-cuff statement and something he's thinking and he didn't know what he was talking about. And I forgot about it. And one day I was at the church praying. And, brother, it was like all of a sudden the burden for that church and that town just lifted. All of a sudden I'm looking around and it's like, I've got this feeling that I don't belong here. I would pull up in front of the church and I would sit in my car and I would think, I feel like a visiting preacher. The, I mean, that thought would literally go through my mind. I love the people. I love the town. But I feel like a visiting preacher and I don't know, I don't know what I'm going to do about this. And, and so I began to realize that evidently God was through with me and I was going to have to move on. So I started praying about where to from there. My brother-in-law had assisted Brother Ron Smith in Aransas Pass, Texas. And I'd actually gone down to visit my brother-in-law at one point. So I was familiar with the church and, you know, knew a little bit about it. And then I found out that Brother Smith was resigning. And Brother Smith had actually, he's a cousin to Brother Robert Nix. And he had tried to turn the church over to Brother Nix. And Brother Nix refused it. Said he didn't want it. And so then Brother Smith didn't know what he was going to do. And he'd been there like nine years. And so he finally said, okay, well, he'd, he'd kind of open it up and let some men come and preach. And so because of my relationship with my brother-in-law, and he really liked my brother-in-law, you know, he didn't really know me. He did know that I'd spent two years with Brother McLean. Brother Smith and Brother McLean were very close friends. And so there was that connection. And then my brother-in-law, there was that connection. So he said, okay. He said, well, I'll let him, you know, I'll let him come preach. So I went down there to preach. Now, I don't remember it being just anything really phenomenal happening that weekend, but I do know I found out later that he told the people there was no way I was going to get elected. He just did not believe that the people wanted me, and he didn't think it was going to happen. But, you know, I prayed about it. I felt like it was what God wanted, and, and the people voted me in. 
things had gone really well for us in Tatum. We'd seen the church more than double in, I was there a little less than two years, and the church had more than doubled. And so we went to Aransas Pass. They were running about 50. And I really thought, I thought, man, give me a couple years here. We double again. You know, if I can do the same thing here as what we did in Tatum, you know, we'll we'll be doing good. Well, I got to Aransas Pass, and that whole city was built around the oil fields. I mean, everybody that was there, their the economy depended on oil fields. And Texas experienced what they called at that time the oil doom, and everything shut down, pipelines shut down, everything shut down. Every man just about in the city lost his job. All right, and, and, and they, there was no work in Aransas Pass. I mean, it was just almost immediate after we got there that people just started leaving. And it wasn't long until we were down below 20. And I actually reached a point where I had one man in the church. No, I had one man that was working in the church. I had another man in the church that was handicapped. And, and, and that was it. So I had two men, one working job, one handicapped, and living off of disability. Things got rough, I can tell you. Things got very, very rough. And again, right back to trusting God. In fact, I was, I was talking to Brother Merriman texting back and forth yesterday and he told me he'd met somebody in Mississippi and when he called the name I said I know that man he actually was an evangelist he preached a long revival for us in Aransas Pass you you may remember me telling this story about having this long revival and we were so poor the ladies would fix meals during the days that we were having church so we would have church Wednesday through Sunday so on Wednesday you know Wednesday through Sunday the ladies were fixing meals for us but we didn't have the money to cook. So Monday, Tuesday, and up until Wednesday night, we fasted. And I just called a three-day fast. And this poor evangelist, you know, he told me after a couple of weeks that he said, man, look, he said, I'm an evangelist. We don't fast a lot on the evangelistic field. He said, this is killing me. Because <laughs> I wasn't about to tell him that I was doing everything I could just to write him a check every week. But anyhow, he's pastoring in Mississippi now. We went from Tatum, we went to Aransas Pass. And we were in Aransas Pass right at five years. A lot of things happened there that, you know, again, having to trust God, having to believe God. We went through a period of time where I couldn't get visitors to come to church. I went door to door myself. I took a little Bible survey questionnaire, and I would go door to door. I'm with Quest International which was a program that the UPC had put together at that time, and they you could get a little badge from them and whatever. I'm with Quest International, and we're doing a survey to find out about people's knowledge of the Bible. And then you ask them these questions, and then you get down to the end and say, well, would you be interested in doing a Bible study? And, you know, people were having great success with this thing. Well, I'm telling you, I walked the streets of that city. I spent hours. I couldn't get anything. Nothing was breaking nothing nothing was breaking and uh, this went on for months and months and months and at one point it, it was just so bad i just finally came to the conclusion i said well god must be through with me here I, I i can't get anything to break i guess i'm just not the man and i called brother robert davis i don't know why i called him instead of his dad but you know he, he had always just kind of been even after he left bible school 
when I started pastoring, he still kind of remained a mentor to me, and we just had that close friendship. And for some reason, I called him instead of his dad that, that night, and I said, you know, brother, I'm just I'm at a place where I'm really wondering if God's finished with me here. And without even hesitating, he said, well, let me ask you a question. Has God made any promises that would keep you at that church? I think it's the way he asked it. And I said, well, God's made some promises for the church, and God's made some promises to me. But any of those promises could be fulfilled without me being at this church. And he said, well, here's what I want you to do. I want you to pray and ask God to give you a promise that would tie you to the church if he wants you to stay. And if he doesn't want you to stay, then that's fine. But to make that clear. And so I said, okay, that's fair enough. And so that night, before I went to bed, I prayed, did exactly what he said. And that very night, God gave me a dream and God showed me the church full and showed me a, a man that was a backslider, uh, greeting me. I walked in the back doors of the church, which was unusual. I usually would come in from my office. I walked in through the back doors of the church and he was standing there, had a, a big Holy Ghost smile on his face. I knew he had prayed back through. and He said, I want you to see, I got a brand new Bible. And then I looked around, I saw the church was full. And as soon as I saw that it was full, I, I turned around and I walked out the front door, got in my car and drove away. So I woke up and I said, well, all right, God did what I asked. And I said, God, I promise you, I'm not going anywhere until I see this fulfilled. And it was a few years. In fact, I'd forgotten all about it when, when it did happen. Everything that God showed me in that dream took place. Every detail, every detail was fulfilled. And the night that didn't all happen in one night the way the dream showed, but every detail was fulfilled. And the night that, like in my dream, I saw the church full. And, and in my dream, I said to myself, standing in the congregation, I said, man, the, the church is comfortably full. And when I said those words is when I turned around, walked out the door and drove away. The night that that happened, I had walked in through the back doors of the church, and I mean, we had a crowd. We had sinners. We had so many sinners there that night. I didn't have enough saints there to pray with them. Holy Ghost falling all over everywhere. It was just amazing, the service we had. And and I felt so good about things. I thought, man, I have worked five years to see this thing break. I am so glad, you know, that it's finally happened. And so finally, when everything's done, service is over, doors are locked, lights are out, and I get in my car and I start home and I think, man, it looked good in there tonight. I thought, you know, the church was comfortably full. And as soon as I thought those words, I remembered the dream. And the burden left me. And I said, no, God, no. <laughs> I've worked too hard to get in here. <laughs> Uh, but anyhow, during, during the downtime is when Brother Claiborne had called me and, you know, I'd, I'd had that dream of going back to Tatum and seeing him. And then the very next night he had a dream where he was there in Tatum and he saw me and, and, and standing there in his part of the dream, I had told him I'd gone to Colorado. So it was, 
all that happened during the downtime in Aransas Pass. And uh, then when that burden left, when I was in Aransas Pass, and I was trying to figure out, all right, God, so where do I go from here? What do I do from here? I'd forgotten about Brother Claiborne's dream and my dream. I'd forgotten about that. Brother Tom Johnson called me and told me about the church in Canyon City. So that's we went from Aransas Pass and things going well, revival popping, people praying through. And went to Canyon City, six voting members. And uh, the, the, the former pastor had only been there five months. We know of at least five different women he had been involved with during that time, some in the church, some out of the church. And then the church sat without a pastor for 11 months. Oh, wait, nine months. There was another church in the state that had gone 11 months. Uh, Canyon City was nine months. And, and the bad thing was the pastor before him didn't preach holiness separation. They'd allowed everything. Very likable guy. People loved him. Then the next guy comes in and he says, ah, you're worldly. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help you be holy. you got to be separated and be holy. And, and then within five months they find out he's been committing adultery and carrying on. And so that was their introduction to holiness. So they don't have a pastor. I mean, everybody leaves and they don't have a pastor for nine months. And then here I come and I got to try to pick up the pieces and try to do something with it. And a lot of trying times there and learning the ropes there. And I was four years in Colorado. It took time uh, you know, there's a lot of things you got to work through when, when saints have been through what those people had been through. There's a lot of issues you've got to deal with. It was a long, slow process of getting things to heal and getting things on the right track. But the day came that I felt like God lifted the burden for that church as well. And I still remember when we had the election. Now, Brother Riley took the church in Canyon City when I left there. And the night that we had the election, Brother Johnson came over to do the election. And that night, the night of the election, we prayed a brand new man through to the Holy Ghost. And Brother Johnson looked at me. He said, are you sure you want to leave with this revival atmosphere in this church? I said, Brother Johnson, I can't help it. You know, I mean, it's just that's that's been the story. I, I, God has just sent me to these problem situations and and I've had to work and work trust God believe God work my way through them until I finally got them turned around and when they're turned around and ready for someone else to step in and build then God moves me on to the next trouble situation and that's just been the way it's been so so four years Canyon and Canyon City things went well there um a lot of people we prayed through, a lot of great things happened. And then God lifted the burden and J.S. Mississippi. And, and, you know, interestingly, that was a place my pastor wanted me to go. Uh, he was good friends with the, with the district superintendent, Brother G.R. Travis. And he, uh, Elder Davis, actually called me about J.S. to tell me the church was open. And he called Brother Travis to tell Brother Travis that, he had a boy interested. So, uh, 
he, he was trying to get me there. He wanted me in JS. Um, it, it was a big church. It had been known, you know, to be a big church. Um, now, it had gone through some situations, and it was down when I got there. Uh, it was it was running about 150 when I got there, but it was uh, there were a lot of problems there, and we've talked about it, and that would be a whole podcast in itself. And I don't really want to say a whole lot there because podcasts can get shared, and and uh, so we won't go into all the details. The other side has been told and told and told. My side will remain untold at this point, but. I will tell you this, that when the day came that I knew it was time for me to resign there, uh, there was no question, and I resigned not knowing for sure what was going to happen. I had come up here and preached, and honestly, this did not look like a situation I was interested in. Now, this church, this church was running about 60, and by the time I got here, it was down into the 30s. And so it split pretty much in half by the time I got here. And the half that were left uh, were only about half Christian. <laughs> I had another project on my hands. So uh, that was in 1996 that we came here. One of the beautiful things, one of the beautiful things is my installation service. Brother Robert Davis preached that. And I will never forget while he was preaching, Holy Ghost was on him. He was, the anointing was so heavy. And as he was preaching, as only he can do, he just stopped, turned around and looked at me. And he said, I've got a word from the Lord for you. He said, unpack your bags. This is your harvest field. And so um, I knew then when he said, unpack your bags, I knew what that meant because God had been moving me all over and I knew that that meant this would be my final stop. Once again, I want to say how thankful I am to Pastor for sharing these incredible stories with us. I believe that times of transition in our lives would be much easier if we could simply learn to trust in God. This episode concludes our conversation with Pastor about his personal experiences in ministry over the past 40 years. Next week, we're going to talk to Pastor about the purpose and function of the apostolic ministry in today's modern world. You won't want to miss it. Thank you to everyone who has joined us for today's podcast. We want you to know that we are here to help you in any way we can. If there is anything we can do for you, please don't hesitate to contact us. Send your prayer request to prayer at olathetruth.com. That's prayer at olathetruth.com. If you live in the Kansas City metropolitan area, we invite you to join us for our services this week, Sunday morning at 10, Sunday evening at 6, and Tuesday evening at 7.30. For those who cannot attend, we will provide a live stream on our Facebook page, our YouTube page, and our website, olathetruth.com live. Until our next podcast, take care and God bless.